Hello, hi, I'm Erin Vandevin. Thanks for joining me today. This is Medium Lady Talks. This podcast is about figuring out the medium effort way to get the most out of life today. I hope the things I unpack here can role model and invite you to sort out your own ways to live life in the present. This is a show about experimenting to get closer to what matters most. I'm glad you're here, so let's settle in. Hello, hi, and welcome to Medium Lady Talks. This is a repost of an episode that aired back in April of 2021. It's episode four. It's called Medium Lady Talks About Doing Hard Things. And I've been really feeling confronted by my own feelings of helplessness lately. And, you know, the results of our own provincial election here in Ontario, you know, some issues with my kids at school, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, the horrific count of unmarked graves at the Indian residential schools in Canada, and most recently there were some decisions made by the previously mentioned provincial government to increase the gap basically between rich and poor by any means necessary. And all of these things together create this, you know, feeling of helplessness and what can I do? What can I do? You know, I think we're all kind of feeling that to certain degrees right now. It's a terrible feeling that feeds, you know, complacency, apathy. I'm so uncomfortable by all that's going on in the world that, you know, sometimes I really feel backed into a corner where the only option seems to be, let's just black out and numb out by reading another YA fantasy fiction series. But if you've been here a while on Medium Lady Talks, you'll know that I've been on pretty consistent journey of pushing the boundaries of my comfort zone, especially in the pursuit of the place in the world that's made for me. You know, I put one medium effort after another. And while that journey is often about self-compassion, I think it's also about me really taking stock of stories I tell myself and deciding which of those stories need to be taken out of print. So I think that's the story. You know, it's this well-worn, I imagine. It's got a gray leather cover. It's written in silver gilt text. The title of the story is The World Sucks and You Can't Do Anything About It. I'm going to pull it from the shelves. It's a story I just won't read anymore. Because honestly, that story used to bring a lot of comfort. And comfort that being helpless meant that I don't have to engage in disruption of change. That the status quo is something I can control. And you know, I think I know better. I know better than to return to that story this time. Um, and it's time to put it away. But I'm also reflecting that, you know, I learned, I had to learn that. I had to learn how to put these stories away, how to take them out of print or take them off the shelves. You know, I actually think in a lot of ways, it was the pandemic that taught me I can do hard things. And I can keep doing hard things now that the pandemic is becoming a part of normal life remembering that I can do hard things, and I've done many hard things before, that gives me a certain kind of fortitude against the state of the world. So right now, I'm going to share with you an old episode, episode four, all about doing hard things during the pandemic. I hope while you listen, you think back proudly on past you in that first year of 2020. And I would really encourage you to come up with your own list of things that you overcame during that time. Remember the survival tactics you used, remember the resources you deployed, and think about the growth or success or change that you experienced 
um, and, and everything that came of all of that hard work and doing hard things. Take inventory and use that inventory as fuel for whatever you do next against the thing that is weighing on your heart and in your gut. For me right now, what's been weighing on me is Canada Day. Um, there's a lot of discussion about the celebration of Canada Day in the face of the challenges and uh, the lack of movement towards truth and reconciliation with Indigenous peoples across Canada. And for me, we are not going to be celebrating Canada Day. We are not going to have any fanfare about it. And I'm going to be writing to my government leaders to support, request their support for action plans from the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. It's uncomfortable to say I'm not going to be celebrating Canada Day, but I can do hard things. I've done hard things in the past, and I'm going to do hard things. And you can too. Welcome to episode four of the Medium Lady Talks podcast. I'm Erin, and this episode we are going to talk about hard things. In particular, we're going to talk about hard things during a pandemic. And this is a subject that every single human in the universe can talk about after having gone through one year managing quarantine, pandemic, health, vaccines, masks, any and all things that have been related to the coronavirus pandemic. In particular, I thought my specific point of view is really related to being a parent during the pandemic. And just to let you know that, you know, March of 2020, I was in the middle of a maternity leave. I'm Canadian, and I was able to enjoy 12 months off with my baby, my third son. And at that time, when things started to close down, I really was a little bit in denial about how hard it was all going to be. But what I've wanted to do in the last year is look back at the different points in time where I did hard things. If you've read any of my writing on Instagram at medium.lady, you'll know that I've written off and on about some of the scripts or storybooks that I like to revisit when I'm feeling stressed and out of control. And while those are comforting stories, the titles of them are not very helpful. Things like Hard Things Are On The Way, and I've often joked that the sequel to that book is You Can't Do Hard Things. You know, just a series of stories that we all tell ourselves about life and about how we're doing at life. I would love to hear from you what the titles of your personal storybooks are, but if you want to read more about that, you can find a lot of it in my writing and posts on Instagram. So today I thought I would revisit some of that writing and actually talk about the theme of hard things. Hard things as a mom, hard things as a daughter, hard things as a sister and friend, hard things as an employee and an employer, you know, really kind of coming around full circle to reflect on all the hard things that I specifically have done and what that has helped me figure out in the times of the last year, I guess. I wanted to start with one of the hardest things that I really had to consider and learn and grow and be a beginner at was the idea of feeling very needy during the very beginning of the pandemic especially, but 
that thematically really kind of showed up in a lot of other areas for me as the pandemic went on. When the pandemic first started, I would do like a daily call with my parents around 9 a.m. I was just, you know, checking in with them and it was kind of fun and we would joke around. And then there was one specific call when I hung up and I just knew that there were things that I needed that the call was not going to fill. And those needs that I had were going to have to wait for a long time. And in particular, all I really wanted was a hug from my parents. All I really wanted as a new mom, six months postpartum with two little kids and a husband who was working from home was a hug, a hug from them to say, yeah, this is really awful. It's scary. I wanted to feel like the comforted child instead of the comforting parent. I wanted the role reversal that comes from being hugged by your parents as an adult. Um, For those of you that have the benefit of living close enough to your families, I think you can really probably relate to the feeling of getting a hug from your parents. I'm 37 years old, I'll be 38 in the next couple weeks, and there's still nothing like a hug from my mom or my dad. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I really had finally come to terms with the fact that it was actually going to be a really long time before I was going to have that need fulfilled. That idea was so devastating to me that it kind of led me down this garden path of feeling needy and how much I hate to feel needy or to define myself as needy. I really have a hard time asking for what I need and I know a lot of women relate to this. It was really hard to consider that I might have to actually ask for some things in order to get past this grief of not being able to have physical proximity to my parents. You know, a lot of us as women, if you're listening, you know, we all typically kind of, we come at our needs with a kind of handful of caveats. You know, we're like, oh, you know, if you have time, I kind of need this one thing, but you know, no worries if you can't. And actually, oh, you know what? Forget it. I already figured it out. And maybe next time, you know, like you can imagine me sending a series of text messages to someone that I might ask for help. And all those text messages arriving like one after the other, like ping, hey, could you help me? Ping, but no worries if you can't. Ping, you know, forget it, it's fine. (laughs) Asking for help is so uncomfortable that I can't leave any space for the person to respond. That's so much of the discomfort of asking for help, but also asking for help in a way that someone shouldn't say no or can't say no is really uncomfortable. When people expect you to ask them for things, when people expect you for direction and then you give direction, as women, that's being clear and supportive. It makes you good at your job. It makes you, you know, a leader. But when you ask for things that you need from people who might reject you or people you love, it's an idea that's really fraught with peril. And it was a really hard thing for me to figure out at the beginning of the pandemic. I'm aware of the irony, you know, why is this so hard? Why can't I just ask for something and not feel needy and not avoid asking for something because I might be perceived as needy? I'm the kind of person I love being asked to do things. I love to be needed, you know, and of course the, you know, therapeutic response is going to be something like, you know, just think about how other people feel when you need them. Yeah, honestly, it's a really negative connotation that's been bred into me and into many women. The patriarchy, for lack of a better term, really embraces and promotes this connotation of need. 
we're really programmed to not like to need other people. We're told that a bad woman is needy. But if there's one hard lesson the pandemic taught me, it was that I really do need other people. I really needed to use my voice to ask for what I needed. I needed to make eye contact with the people I was spending time with. I needed to connect with them without distractions or screens. I needed physical connection and warmth. I needed to actually like make people laugh and have them make me laugh. And and I needed to hear from people in my home, it's going to be okay when I was stressed. One of the hardest things I learned was how much I need other people. And how the spontaneous connection before the pandemic was really easily filling my bucket for that connection. And after the pandemic, you know, I have to ask, I have to plan, I have to schedule that need. I think there was something that I learned in saying to my husband or my kids, you know, I really need a hug. I feel sad and worried. Can you please give me a hug? And then, and then getting it. I think I still sometimes have a really hard time with this. And I would be really curious to hear from you if being needy was a hard part of your pandemic year. The next hard thing was pretending to be fine. I really struggled with pretending to be fine for my three kids, for my distance education teachers, for my husband who was working from home. As the person who was on maternity leave, it sort of felt like I didn't have those work obligations. And so I had free time to be cool for everybody. You know, I was going to be home anyway on my maternity leave. Never mind the fact that y'all came in here and busted up my dreams (laughs) to have my baby on a napping schedule and to enjoy time to myself to do, you know, a fitness workout without somebody making fun of me. (laughs) I really struggled with being fine. And I kind of pretended, I think for a while, at least a month, that I was fine. Then it kind of creeped in. It creeped in that, like, this is not okay. This has been a month. It's not okay. I made my way to this place that was the island of not fine. The island of not fine. It was an island surrounded by water. It had a very well-defended fortress. This fortress is probably something that sounds scary. It sounds cold and dark. It sounds like someone you want to escape. But in all honesty, the castle, the fortress on this island of not fine is cozy and reassuring and predictable. It holds all of my most treasured thoughts that I return to when I'm scared and out of control. You know, these stories you know by heart. I could go from fine to not fine. And while I was not fine, really indulge in those well-worn stories about the mother who was terrible or the girl who didn't deserve a happy ending. I've joked about hard things on the way. That's one well-worn cover on the shelf of stories. But honestly, while I'm on the island of not fine, it kind of became this perfect narrative for Corona. It kind of became this cozy, predictable, consistent narrative that was very reliable. It was an easy place to retreat to. It was, I'm not fine. I'm, I'm bad at things. This is really hard. It was kind of like the equivalent of like binge watching YouTube videos or eating too much ice cream. It was kind of like this real struggle. And it surprised me how not fine I was feeling because I started meditating regularly as a way to cope during the beginning of the pandemic. This meditation was kind of like that brief repose from the island of not fine. It was like I could leave the island of not fine, I could meditate 
I could leave that predictable, reliable space for something that was new and different and a little bit stimulating, I guess. Meditation, just kind of the idea of quieting all those stories. But meditation was sort of temporary. And it was like, you know, you can eat a fridge full of ice cream and have one kale salad and it doesn't make for balance. It's not going to make you feel better. Even though I really hoped that by meditating once a day, I could live the rest of the day in that castle of well-worn stories. But my mind knew the difference. My mind knew the difference. And even though I felt out of control and the island of not fine was a comforting place to return to, it was not helpful. It was not healthy. At that point, I think I really had to work. I really had to, you know, confront those thoughts that I'm ready. I'm ready to put away these stories. I'm ready to board up the rooms in my fortress. I'm ready to shelve the ideas that live there and close up the island of not fine. But in the middle of a pandemic, it made it a lot of work. And I really wonder if I had come to the same conclusion, but it hadn't been a pandemic. I wonder if meditation might have rewarded me a little bit better. Meditation was like a stark contrast to that cozy fortress. It was like a chilly field of tall grass. There was no shelter. There was no blankets. There were no storybooks. There was no castle walls. It was uncomfortable and unfamiliar, even though it was something that I wanted with all my heart was to abandon those negative thoughts and leave the space of being not fine to a space of being fine. Written before, meditation reminds me to think about joy, about hope, about how capable I am. Meditation reminds me to think about beauty. It reminds me to be mindful in the moment. It reminds me to have fun every day. In the castle, I can't access that. I really allowed myself to get uncomfortable enough to figure out how to board up the castle, even temporarily or even for longer periods of the day. Using the practice of meditation, and honestly, it's not complicated at all. It's 10 minutes with a guided meditation app. It didn't work right away until I recognized that the time I was spending meditating was not going to work unless I was going to be willing to spend time turning my back on the castle when I wasn't meditating. So I think that's where meditation and mindfulness lie hand in hand, is meditation is the practice of ceasing your thinking, of distancing yourself from your thoughts. But mindfulness is in some ways a very close-up confrontation of your thoughts and saying, wow, I'm really going back to these well-worn negative stories. Let's close that book in this very moment and turn our eyes towards something new and something maybe about gratitude or maybe about the five senses. And that was something that was really hard in the pandemic, was turning my back on this fortress of solitude and despair that was a very cozy place to retreat to when everything felt out of control. One of the other things that was really hard during the pandemic, and this came halfway through, was the end of my maternity leave. I had expected by the end of my maternity leave that things might be back to normal. That just was not the case. I really think that I recognized while I was going back to a job that I knew and loved so dearly, is that essentially it was going to be a very new job to me. And the only way to figure out what the new job was, was to do it you've probably never applied for a job where you didn't know the job description, the outcomes, where your accountability lies. And when I 
left maternity leave and returned to work in September of 2020, it was really hard. It was really hard to be new at something. It was really hard to be new in my work environment where I treasure being an expert. I was also new at being a mother of three kids. I was new at working in the era of social distancing. I was new at commuting through COVID, in particular driving. I typically never drove to work and I became new at driving all the time. And I was new at acting as a leader in basically a revolutionized era of healthcare. And that vulnerability that came with all the newness was very stressful, and it made me very nervous. And there was a voice inside of me that was sort of like, I respectfully decline this opportunity. I think 2020 has been enough. You know what? I've pretty much been doing new things all year. I have been so uncomfortable. I have been so uncertain. I have been so brave already. I'm pretty much up on courage. I don't want to do this. But, of course, if that's my head, then my heart knew and had already, like I said, worked really hard to figure out how to do hard things and to rewrite that story of hard things are on the way and you can't do hard things, to rewrite those stories with different endings that prove otherwise, that leveraging our life through awkward, messy newness had allowed me to grow, had pushed me forward and given me experiences that had actually made my life more beautiful. And so I went back to work. (laughs) I was always going to go back to work. I don't think I really had a choice, but for a while I pretended that maybe I had a bit of a choice. I really embraced the suck. I dipped into a lot of experts that were going to teach me how to, you know, do my first time, be a new person, embrace a growth mindset. But in all honesty, At some point, I had to turn my back on those experts and just get to work. There was one thing that really helped me with all that newness, and it was the Brene Brown concept of the FFT, which is the effing first time strategy. And she talks about, you know, normalizing the fact that you're doing something for the first time, putting it in perspective, and then reality checking your expectations. And even as I review this right now, it's probably not a bad idea to review this, even though I've been back at work for six months and I'm no longer in effing first time. (laughs) There's always a new opportunity to try something new that's what makes it a new opportunity. Even with this podcast, the things that I learned about going back to work apply here to the feelings of being tired, uncomfortable, angry, scared, anxious. You know, why is all this happening? And it was hard. It was hard, but it was also normal. And I knew that being new at my job wasn't going to last forever. And I thought I had set pretty realistic expectations at the time. But that leads me to the last hard part, and that was crashing and burning. My work environment is unpredictable. It's intense. It requires a fair bit of crisis management on a week-by-week basis. I found eventually that the work environment was not what I had been able to balance before going on maternity leave. But there was a point at which I also recognized that while I was burning out, I loved every minute of it. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience of loving every minute of, you know, (laughs) flaming out like a dying star. And partly, I had said to somebody, 
I wonder if this is because I'm good at this, that I just have to crash and burn. And I remember that person giving me just the weirdest look. It's true that sometimes we're good at things, and that's why we burn out. Ease doesn't always equal expertise. And that was a really hard lesson to learn. It was a really hard part of the cycle to learn that my work is hard and I choose it and I choose to be good at it. But everybody kept saying, you've got to cut yourself some slack. And that was hard. I had no idea how to do that. And one of the things that really made the biggest difference, well, there's two things, I guess. But the one thing I really want to talk about is writing. Writing became one of the ways to cut myself some slack. I had some support from a colleague while balancing some of the stuff that was happening at work. And he said, what are you going to do this weekend? What are your hobbies? What do you do for fun? And I said without hesitation, I said, I'm a writer. And I surprised myself by saying that, that the way I was going to manage the hard times at work was going to be to write them. That's how I figured out my way through most of this past year. I figured out my way through feeling needy by writing. I figured out my way through all that negative thinking. I figured out my way out of the castle to the field of meditation by writing. I figured out how to be new at going back to work by writing. And I figured out the hard parts of my career by writing. You can do hard things. I can do hard things. But we can't do them without reconciling the effort that they take. Now, this podcast is called Medium Lady Talks, and I really do believe that with medium effort, we can get our way close to what matters most. But sometimes there are hard times, and 2020, 2021 has just been hard times. No matter what you've had to figure out, no matter the hard lessons that have been brought your way, it cannot be easy, and it hasn't really come through medium effort. But I do think that we've all made our way a little bit closer to what matters. Because it's more within reach than ever before, it's more accessible than ever before. And because it's more accessible, we don't have to ask permission as much as we needed to in the past. We don't have to make excuses or workarounds to do what is really important to us because the year has been hard. And when you do hard things, you get the benefit of the doubt that your next thing is going to be important and is going to be what matters and is going to make a difference. So I don't need an excuse to be a writer because I've done enough hard things. The writing is what gets me through. Now, maybe it's not writing for you. Maybe it's reading or singing or makeup or plants or home decor or running or dancing or cooking or baking or something else I haven't even mentioned here. Maybe it's glass blowing. I want you to think about that thing that's gotten you through hard times. And if you'll indulge me, I would love to read for you a poem that I wrote about doing hard things. It's called, When You Arrive at Your Place. This week, I laid bare my most complete self in the stream, in the field of my real work. It has been hard. It has been painful. 
It has peeled back the layers of appearance and perception and imposter syndrome. What was left is what was always there, but I'm a bit raw, very tender, worn from my efforts. What was left in the field by the stream revealed to me that I have what it takes to step into the place in the world that is made for me. But it takes real work, so now I rest.